grab your Bible or your device and turn to, or I don't know what it's called, access, <laughs> flip, push the button that gets you to Isaiah chapter 38. Isaiah chapter 38. Oh, you can stand, please, with me as a, a way to honor the reading of God's word. So we're, we'll stand and we'll read uh, Isaiah 38 and 39 together. So about 2,700 years ago, the prophet Isaiah, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote these words, and we read them again this morning. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says Yahweh, Set your house in order, for you shall die. You shall not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to Yahweh and said, Please, O Yahweh, remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Then the word of Yahweh came to Isaiah, Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus says Yahweh, the God of David your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria and will defend this city. This shall be the sign to you from Yahweh that Yahweh will do this thing that he has promised. Behold, I will make the shadow cast by the declining sun on the dial of Ahaz turn back ten steps. So the sun turned back on the dial the ten steps by which it had declined. A writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, after he had been sick and had recovered from his sickness. I said, in the middle of my days, I must depart. I am consigned to the gates of Sheol for the rest of my years. I said, I shall not see Yahweh, Yahweh in the land of the living. I shall look on man no more among the inhabitants of the world. My dwelling is plucked up and removed from me like a shepherd's tent. Like a weaver, I have rolled up my life. He cuts me off from the loom. From day to night, you bring me to an end. I calmed myself until morning. Like a lion, he breaks all my bones. From day to night, you bring me to an end like a swallow or a crane i chirp i moan like a dove my eyes are weary with looking upward O lord i am oppressed be my pledge of safety what shall i say for he has spoken to me and he himself has done it i walk slowly all my years because of the bitterness of my soul O lord by these things men live and in all these is the life of my spirit oh restore me to health and make me live behold it was for my welfare that I had great bitterness. But in love you have delivered my life from the pit of destruction, for you have cast all my sins behind your back. For Sheol does not thank you. Death does not praise you. Those who go down to the pit do not hope for your faithfulness. The living, the living, he thanks you as I do this day. The Father makes known to the children your faithfulness. Yahweh will save me, and we will play my music on stringed instruments all the days of our lives at the house of Yahweh. Now Isaiah had said, let them take a cake of figs and apply it to the boil that he may recover. Hezekiah also had said, what is the sign that I shall go up to the house of Yahweh? At that time, Merodach Baladon, the son of Baladon, the king of Babylon, sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that he had been sick and had recovered. And Hezekiah welcomed them gladly, and he showed them his treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his whole armory, all that was found in his storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet came to King Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say? And from where did they come to you? Hezekiah said, They have come to me from a far country, from Babylon. He said, What have they seen in your house? Hezekiah answered, They have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing in my storehouses that I did not show them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of Yahweh of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says Yahweh, and some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of Yahweh that you have spoken is good, for he thought there will be peace and security in my days. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that you have given to us this morning. Uh, there is a lot in here, um, and we pray that you would help us to understand uh, why it's in here, why you have given it to us, and what it's for. Uh, Father, we pray this morning that you would make your word effective in our lives, um, that we would be pierced 
by your Holy Spirit working in our hearts and that we would have something to take away from this message. And as we go to our jobs and to our schools and to um, maybe vacation and time with family this Thanksgiving week, that we would reflect on your goodness to us and that we would be truly full of thanksgiving this week. We thank you for uh, the most important thing, and that is the gift of Jesus that you sent to this earth. We thank you, Father, that you sent your only Son, that you gave him up for us all. And so this morning we come as children ready to hear from our Father. So teach us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here we are in uh, this little narrative section in the middle of Isaiah. Most of Isaiah is poetry, uh, but you'll notice that chapters 36, 37, 38, and 39 are written in prose, except for the poems included within them. And this is a unique section in the Bible because these events are the only narratives outside the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, that we have recorded three times. So uh, let me suggest that this afternoon or evening um, or tomorrow that you read 2 Kings 18 through 20. 2 Kings 18 through 20, and then also 2 Chronicles 29 through 32. So three chapters in 2 Kings, that's 2 Kings 18 through 20, and then five chapters, I'm sorry, four chapters in 2 Chronicles 29 through 32. Um, for this, the fuller na- narrative of Hezekiah's reign as king of Judah. Isaiah gives us a glimpse, and Chronicles and Kings give us the wider understanding of King Hezekiah's reign. Um, it's also a unique passage because it's out of order chronologically. And so this gets a little confusing. All week long, I had to keep it straight in my head um, what was happening and when it was happening, where it was happening. So last week, um, Pastor Ron preached on chapters 36 and 37. If you weren't here, you can get that um, wherever you listen to podcasts or you can go to villagebible.com and click on messages. Uh, Pastor Ron taught on 36 and 37 the attack of King Sennacherib of Assyria on Jerusalem and Judah. Last week, that passage happens after this morning's passage. Okay? So chronologically, what we are studying today happened prior to what we studied last week. So a little confusing, but you've got to kind of keep that in mind as we go through uh, the passage. This is, by the way, not a problem. Um, this is a frequent uh, thing in ancient Near Eastern um, literature. But it's also not uncommon in modern literature. Uh, last year I read a trilogy of biographies on Theodore Roosevelt. The first book was his early life until he was 42 and was vice president of the United States. Book two covered his seven plus years as a president. And then book three um, covered the last decade or so of his life um, between uh, retirement from being the president and uh, his death. But book one started with a prologue and the prologue was him greeting uh, well-wishers at the White House. Okay, and then so then chapter 1 was his backstory. Out of order chronologically, uh, but the author was not confused. The author was not um, troubled into putting this, this part of the life of Theodore Roosevelt first. The author did it on purpose. And so the same thing here, um, we believe, is that chapters 38 and 39 are out of order on purpose. It wasn't a, a misplacing of scrolls. Um, it was actually done for a purpose. So we want to find out what that purpose was. And, and of course, we believe um, that there is a, an, a little a author that Isaiah most likely wrote um, most of or edited his, this book. But also there's a big A author, right? That, that God is superintending the, the, re, the writing and preservation of his word. And so God is not confused either at how this was put together. This is really important for us to understand Um, But it's also important for us because Romans 15, 4, Paul said this to the Romans, and I think it applies to us today as well. He said, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. It was written for our instruction. Why? So that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And so the Old Testament is not old and out of date and um, not applicable to us. The Old Testament makes, uh, the New Testament makes sense. So we need to know this. We need to understand this. So with that being said, uh, we'll dive into chapter 38 and point number one in your notes, which is Hezekiah prays and Yahweh hears and answers. Hezekiah prays and Yahweh hears and answers. If you're uh, new here or haven't heard um, a a message in this 
series, you may not see Yahweh in your Bible whenever there's Lord in all caps. Um, that is translating the Hebrew word Yahweh, the personal covenant name of the God of Israel. So Hezekiah prays and Yahweh hears and answers. So um, there's at least two indications right here in these chapters that tell us why this is out of order or that it is out of order. And so I want to show you that uh, rather than just tell you um, that things are out of order. So look first at uh, chapter 38, verse 6. And this is spoiler alert, so watch out. Okay, 38, verse 6. Um, in the middle of Yahweh's answer to Hezekiah through Isaiah, he says, I will deliver you and this city. What city would that be? Jerusalem. You and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria and will defend this city. Now, you might, you might only have to look back on the, on the next page or flip one page, but in chapter 37, verse 35, Yahweh said this to Hezekiah. In fact, in 33, it says, Concerning the king of Assyria, for I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and the sake of my servant David. This is an indication that the events of 38 and 39 happened before the attack of Jerusalem in 36 and 37. We also know historically from Sennacherib's own uh, records, he left, he left massive rooms full of writing and pictures on walls that we've found. And he, he writes that he never went back to Jerusalem after the angel of the Lord slaughtered his army. He never, you wouldn't want to come back either. Um, he worked on other projects for the next 20 years before his death, but he never came back. So this promise from Yahweh that he would save Hezekiah from the king of Assyria seems to indicate that this is prior to 36 and 37. The other thing that we want to notice is that chapter 39, you see that funny name in verse 1? that Many of you are tempted to name your next son. Merodach Baladan. This guy we know from history um, was the king. Well, he was more like a, like a rebel king. He, had, um, he was an Aramean. He was a Syrian. A space Syrian, not an Assyrian. Okay? He was a Syrian, and he rose up and uh, threw off the shackles of Assyria in Babylon. And so he became king of Babylon um, in uh, about a decade before Sennacherib attacked Jerusalem. Uh, he, he was deposed, and he, he, he fought back, and he clawed his way back, and he made a new alliance, and he fought uh, with Assyria again and was king for part of 703 B.C. And then we don't know if he was exiled or he died, but he disappears from the record. So this couldn't have happened after chapters 36 and 37 with Sennacherib because Merodach Baladan is not in a position to send any envoys to um, Hezekiah. And last... Uh, it's not in Isaiah, but as I said, if you read Second Kings and you go to Second uh, Chronicles, you'll see uh, that Hezekiah, in order to appease Sennacherib in the siege and try to bribe him to leave, uh, Pastor Ron talked about this last week, strips the temple of the gold and the precious stones and all of the jewelry, and he, and he gives it to Sennacherib to say, okay, enough's enough, here's a lot of money, go away. Um, and so you would imagine that after you've stripped the temple of God, of the gold that there's not much to see. Um, however, uh, when the envoys from Merodach Baladon in chapter 39 come, Hezekiah shows in the temple. Look at this beautiful building. He wouldn't have done that if he had just stripped it of all the gold. It wouldn't have been uh, that beautiful of a building. So those are just three. There are more, but those are three indications um, of the chronological structure here. Okay. So much background. Um, in chapter 38... We see the first three words, in those days. And that is a, is a vague um, time placement. Okay, It's not the normal then or something like after this. In those days is a more generalized statement that places this generally in the area of what has gone before. Also, it could be that this is taken almost verbatim from another source and that Isaiah perhaps himself or perhaps another historian in the temple courts of Hezekiah had kept a history, and that when putting the book together, perhaps it was just taken out of and placed into what we now know as Isaiah. Whatever the case, in those days, um, does not contradict all that I just said about the chronology here. 
But in those days, we find out that Hezekiah became sick. He's deathly ill. And this is, this is really important because in the, the Bible, Hezekiah is one of the greatest kings. Um, you could argue that um, he and King David and King Josiah are the three. In fact, you wouldn't really need to argue. You could just point it out in the Bible. It's pretty clear that those three kings are the three great kings of, of Israel, of Judah. And Hezekiah, um, in one commentary, was called one of the most truly human of the kings. And that's partially because we get to know so much about him. You know, some of the, if you've been in your Bible reading recently in Kings or Chronicles, and you're just kind of trying to pronounce the words and who are these guys, and some of them get like three verses and then they're gone and there's another king. Well, Hezekiah gets chapter upon chapter upon chapter. And he's, uh, he's king during some of the most um, uh, historically uh, recorded times in the ancient Near East. And so Hezekiah is a great king, but he's a human king. And we see some pretty high highs in his life. Just some victories, some great times. And we see some really low lows, which should be encouraging to you because that's, that describes your life, right? You've had some low lows. He said some low times. Perhaps you're in one right now. Uh, maybe you've had some, some high times, some, some victories. And so that, that's helpful to us to see this from King um, Hezekiah. We know that King Hezekiah... Uh, was a great king who reformed the worship of Yahweh. He was the first king to finally, finally, finally um, go back against um, Solomon and Solomon setting up altars to other gods in the hills surrounding Jerusalem. He wouldn't do that in the temple, but he did it around. And Hezekiah goes on a campaign to smash the altars and the idols to take out the worship of false gods. Um, In fact, Sennacherib said that um, as he threatened, he said, Has, hasn't Hezekiah torn down all your altars? How can you trust in this king? Well, Hezekiah was a great king, and this sickness has come upon him. And um, he is told this by Isaiah, the prophet, who comes in and says, you better get your house in order, you're going to die. You're not going to recover. You are going to die, so get everything in order. Uh, what's also important to understand is that it's likely um, that if you look through Second Chronicles and First Kings, it is likely that he does not have a male heir at this point. Um, he's probably around 38, 39 years old, and he does not have a male heir. Um, and that's a huge deal, if you know the Bible storyline, because um, David, King David, was promised uh, a forever kingdom. He was promised that his sons would sit on the throne, and Hezekiah does not have a son to pass on the legacy, the monarchy, And so uh, perhaps this also um, informs what he does in verse 2. He turns to the wall. Very interesting um, little tidbit there. He's in bed. He's he's sick. And he turns away from um, all of his people that were definitely there to help the king try to live, right? His doctors and all these people. And he turns his head to the wall. And he does what? He prayed. He prayed. Good reaction. That's good. You're going to die. Pray. He prays to Yahweh. He asks Yahweh to remember how he has walked in faithfulness before him with his whole heart and he's done what is good. And then he weeps bitterly. We see that the humanity of Hezekiah here, he is, he breaks down. Um, This is not a very royal thing to do, but it's a very human thing to do. And Hezekiah turns to weep. He is sorrowful. Um, Perhaps he is despairing. And yet he knows the only one he can go to is Yahweh. So we know this from um, 2 Chronicles. This doesn't say this in Isaiah, but 2 Chronicles tells us Isaiah is on his way out from telling King Hezekiah. And Yahweh speaks to Isaiah and he says, turn around, go back to the king. And you know how I just had you tell him he's going to die? Tell him I'm going to give him 15 more years. Okay? So Isaiah, bad news. Okay, he gets to come back and give the good news, which should have been very nice for Isaiah to come back. He comes back and he tells Hezekiah, um, look at verse 5, Thus says Yahweh, and notice, the God of David your father. And, and throughout scripture, um, father and son are not necessarily having to be used um, to just the one generation. Okay, um, like, you know... Um, Andrew, son of Donald, okay, or something like that. It could be referring to my great-great-great-great-grandfather as my father, as my progenitor, or as um, someone that I'm descended from. And so Hezekiah is descended from David, his father. And of course, it's been um, almost 300 years, so it's several generations removed. But 
but it's very important that Yahweh says this, the God of David, your father, because it was David who received the covenant from Yahweh. It was David who received the promise um, of a line, of seed, of a, of a son someday who would reign forever. I have heard your prayer. Isn't that good news? You ever felt like no one's hearing your prayer? Maybe it's just the wall. Yahweh says, I've heard your prayer. And not only that, <laughs> I have seen your tears. I've seen your tears. This is intimate. This is close. No one sees the king's tears, right? The king doesn't cry in front of everybody. But Yahweh has seen his tears. He's heard his cries and he's going to give him 15 years of life. Side note, wouldn't that be kind of weird? Once you get to year 14. Okay, well, here it comes. <laughs> One more year. Uh, the Lord added 15 years to his life. Not only that, he promises to deliver him out of the hand of the king of Assyria. He's going to defend the city Jerusalem. This is really, really important. And it informs our understanding of chapters 36 and 37 that when King Sennacherib does come, when the threat does come to Jerusalem, Hezekiah has already received an answer from the Lord. I'll defend this city. In the context of you're sick and going to die, oh wait, I'll heal you and I'll defend this city. It gives us a little bit of a background as to how Hezekiah could trust Yahweh through the siege. Well, as, as we move on, there's a sign given. And if you'll remember back in chapter 7, Isaiah chapter 7, Pastor Ron preached on this a few months ago. Ahaz, Hezekiah's dad, um, got a visit from Isaiah. And Isaiah told him, ask for a sign. And Ahaz refused. Ahaz refused. And because Ahaz refused, he had a lot of trouble for the rest of his reign. But here, Hezekiah receives a sign from Yahweh. What is the sign? And friends, I don't know how to explain this. <laughs> no one knows how to explain this. There, there's not a lot of clarity in the Hebrew even. So um, some of you will see in your ESV that at the end of cha- uh, verse 8, by the, the 10 steps by which it had declined is a little number there. If you go to the bottom of your page or the side of your page, whatever it is, it says, the meaning of the Hebrew verse is uncertain. So it is tough to understand what is actually being said here. So there's this picture of a sundial, but there's also a picture of some steps. Um, so we don't know if it's a stepped sundial or if the sundial is a massive sundial and it tells the time by going down steps as the sun moves and the shadow moves down. We're not exactly sure. I, I read this note. I love this. This is hysterical. The stairway was used as a sort of sundial. This is a miraculous event. Period. That's it. This is a miraculous event. <laughs> the commentator really had no uh, other things to say. Now, some of the other commentators had a lot to say. But really, there's an uncertainty regarding the details. But don't let uncertainty regarding the actual details here um, distract you from the meaning of the whole. Whatever happened here, God did something only God can do. That's the nature of a sign, right? Jesus turning water into wine, the first sign that he did. You can't do that. You, there's, we don't have a, a Keurig for that, turning water into wine thing yet. It doesn't work, okay? This is a sign from God. And so um, people are like, well, how could this happen? God, if he, if he stopped the rotation of the earth, that doesn't work. Well, I mean, so don't we believe God raised the person from the dead? Like, like he reversed death in a body? <laughs> um, Perhaps God refracted the light differently. Um, perhaps God just went, move the shadow. Whatever um, the Lord did, this is, this is what we believe. We're Christians. We're supernaturalists. We believe in supernatural events that God does. We believe that God created the heavens and the earth. God has a prerogative um, to do these things. Um, for, by the way, he doesn't do them very often, right? I mean, so I, I would not really, you should, probably shouldn't go home and ask for God to do this and go outside and watch the shade of your tree to know if you should go do something tonight. I mean, that's probably not a good idea, okay? But in this instance, God gives Hezekiah a sign by moving the shadow backwards. In fact, if you go and look at um, uh, Second Kings, it gives it a little bit more detail as to what happened. And actually, Hezekiah chooses, rather than put the, sh- the shadow forward, he asks for the shadow to go back. Um, and so you can just, uh, they're all standing there and the shadow goes back and they gasp and praise the Lord. He's telling the truth. This will come to pass. 
you know, th- this is not actually unprecedented because I think that we think of miracles in the Bible sometimes in the wrong way. So um, one of the greatest miracles in the Bible that we learn from a young age if we grow up in the church or if we watch movies is the crossing of the Red Sea, right? Dramatic special effects, okay? Charlton Heston standing up, right? Um, or whoever he's been, was he Christian Bale or something recently? Yeah, okay. Moses standing at the Red Sea and he raises the staff and his hair is flying around him and the music swells and the water parts. Well, that's, that's really cool. But if you actually read the passage, which I would encourage you to turn to Exodus 14 really quick. I just want to make a, one little point here. Exodus chapter 14. If that's the memory that you have, you're equating a movie with God's word and you got God's word wrong. <laughs> Okay, and that's easy to do. Now, Moses is there, and they are at the sea, and he does raise up the staff. Okay, but in Exodus 14, starting in verse 13, Moses tells the people, Fear not, stand firm, see the salvation of Yahweh, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. Yahweh will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. So Yahweh says to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff. And stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. That the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. Okay, now move down to verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And Yahweh drove the sea back by a strong east wind. What are the next two words? All night. Okay, all night long there's a strong east wind. Who sent the strong east wind? Well, God did. The strong east wind and made the sea dry land and the waters were divided. So listen, this is a miraculous event. This is an amazing event, but it didn't happen like... It's not special effects. This is God working. And so sometimes God does do the special effects kind of thing, right? Like staff into snake and then snake back to staff, that kind of thing. Okay, Um, but in this instance, God uses a very natural thing, wind. To miraculously, he uses a natural thing to supernaturally divide the waters, okay? So all I'm trying to say is that back in Isaiah, um, that, that, that God is going to um, use natural things to work supernaturally sometimes. In fact, we're going to see this um, here in a minute as we get to the end of chapter 38. So keep that in mind as well. So it applies to the shadow on the dial, and it's going to apply to the sickness of Hezekiah too. But first, a little, a little uh, addendum that's written in here is a poem that Hezekiah wrote afterwards. So Hezekiah recovers, and he writes a poem to God. And it's actually, um, <laughs> it's, it's fairly dark. One uh, author called it a meditation on mortality. Um, and it, it surely is that. Um, I'm not going to go back and read through every word, but you look at this, uh, verse 10b, I am consigned to the gates of Sheol for the rest of my years. Wow, that's, that hasn't gone in a worship song recently, as far as I know. This is a little bit of a downer. Um, but it, it's, it's Hezekiah reflecting on the very real um, sickness and the, the feelings that he had as he was preparing to die, perhaps childless. And so we see throughout that there is this picture of not being able to be in the land of the living, not seeing God's work. Um, the, the picture in verse 12 is the shepherd's tent that just gets plucked up. Because the shepherd's going to move from place to place, and the tent is just temporary. And it's here one day, and it's gone the next, just like Hezekiah's life. Uh, the picture of the weaver uh, rolled up my life. He cuts me off from the loon. That once you get to the end, there's, there's no more material. Just like when you get to the end of your life, there's no more. It's gone. Um, all of a sudden, as you're rolling off um, the material from the loom, um, he begins to, to talk about how he sounds like a bird, like a mourning dove, um, in his groaning and in his preparation for death. But we get to uh, verse 16. And verse 16 uh, includes the cry, uh, the poetic cry, Oh, restore me to health and make me live. And verse 17 is just a fantastic, fantastic picture. Listen to this. Behold, it was for my shalom, my peace, my wholeness, my welfare, that I had great bitterness. Hezekiah looks back. This is, this is hindsight, okay? <laughs> but he looks back and he says, it was for my good that this bitter thing happened to me. Can you say that? Can you look back on things and say, it was good 
that God put me through this bitterness. This, this is the, the picture of Job. This is the picture of Paul. Right? The, the thorn in the flesh. You'll notice that if you read that, Paul's not whining about it. He's rejoicing in it. And this is the picture we see here of Hezekiah. And then he says this, but in love you have delivered my life. Hezekiah feels and knows the love of his God in delivering his life from the pit of destruction. And the final uh, description in verse 17 is this beautiful picture for you have cast all my sins behind your back. So watch this. So um, I'm Yahweh, okay? All right. Um, And you are the sinner, okay? And the picture is you're holding your sin and Yahweh grabs the sin and flings it behind his back. Give me that. Mm, It's gone, okay? The picture um, is that it's no longer a subject of concern or attention. It's, It's back there. Don't worry about it. I threw it back there. The picture of God forgiving sin is this dramatic, forget it. It's gone. I've taken care of it. Give it to me. Why? Because you can't take care of it. You've been trying your whole life to do it, and it's not worked out very well, has it? Watch this. Fling it behind his back. Hezekiah rejoices in the sins being cast behind his back. Now listen, he didn't know about Jesus. So this picture for us is even more glorious, that we should pray this kind of thing. Oh, thank you, Lord, that you flung my sins behind your back. This is Psalm 103. Okay, that My sins are as far as the east is from the west. They're gone. They're in the deepest part of the ocean. You've taken them away. Praise the Lord. And then he rejoices in this, this picture of the Old Testament uh, saints didn't really know as much as we do um, about uh, the afterlife and heaven and hell. And so sometimes it gets a little uncomfortable reading the Old Testament because it sounds like they don't think there's any afterlife. Well, they actually didn't have as much revelation as we do about the afterlife. We learn a lot about the afterlife in the New Testament. So here, Hezekiah says, Sheol, that's the grave, the place of the dead, does not thank you. Death does not praise you. Those who go down to the pit do not hope for your faithfulness. The living, the living, he thanks you as I do this day. So Hezekiah takes this opportunity as he's alive to thank God, to thank him. And then not only that, this is important. He doesn't just thank thank you, God, for saving me. He tells his children, which is very interesting because we we suspect that Hezekiah was childless when this happened. Um, But he goes on, it seems, to tell his children or to give a principle that when we are thankful, we're to tell our children. The father makes known to the children your faithfulness. Hey, kids, God was faithful to me when he did this. God was faithful to me and your mother. God was faithful to our family. God was faithful to you as a little baby when you were in trouble. God was faithful. We pass that on. The Israelites have a terrible record of passing things on, don't they? Just awful. I mean, you get to the book of Judges and there's people living in the land of Canaan don't, don't even know Yahweh. How do they not know Yahweh? I mean, my only conclusion is the parents didn't tell them. They didn't pass it on very well. Pass it on to your children. This week, Thank God and make known to your children his faithfulness. So some of you probably do this around Thanksgiving table, okay? Um, Agonizing while the smells are going uh, into the air. And okay, now let's all share something we're thankful for. Food! (laughs) If you do something like that, take the opportunity to practice this this week as we have an extra incentive, a reminder to be thankful. And lastly, um, God uh, shares, uh, I mean, Hezekiah shares that Yahweh saved him, and that the way that we uh, respond to this is by playing music on stringed instruments all the days of our lives at the house of Yahweh. The picture is just we rejoice and we sing. And that's what we do when we're happy and when we are thankful and when we look back on what God has done, we sing as we did this morning. Six songs from our worship team. Thank you, worship team. Now, 21 and 22, what in the world are they doing here and why are they at the end? If you read the Second Kings passage, they're actually included in the flow of the narrative. But for some reason... Isaiah left it here to the end, and you can see that it's past tense. Now, Isaiah had said, and Hezekiah, verse 22, had said, um, we heard about the sign, and we heard about the healing, but now we get a little bit more specific. So Isaiah actually tells the doctors how to do their job. Again, supernatural healing using natural means. He says, put a poultice on that thing. We don't know exactly what the, what the boil was. It's used in the Bible for various 
diseases. Some have said bubonic plague. Some have said um, some kind of leprosy or skin disease. Um, Whatever it was, this was fatal. And so Isaiah says to put a cake of figs on it. And figs were often used for medicinal purposes in those days. Um, And we, we understand that Hezekiah had asked for a sign. What is the sign that I shall go up to the house of Yahweh? So Hezekiah had actually asked for it, but Isaiah keeps it out of the flow of the narrative um, for probably, not, not exactly sure of the purpose, but um, he probably keeps it at the end um, just to keep the movement of the dialogue from Hezekiah praying and then Yahweh answering through Isaiah to be crisp and quick. And then here at the end, we find out that he asked um, for this. Okay, um, now uh, we are going to get to uh, point number three here in chapter 39. 39 is pretty short. But Hezekiah's pride leads to sad short-sightedness. Hezekiah's pride leads to sad short-sightedness. And I think this is what pride does. Pride often makes us focus on the past or only the present. Pride rarely gets us to look forward. Because there's nothing to be proud about in the future. Um, it's uncertain. It's in the future. There's a lot to be proud about if I take the time right here and right now or in the things that I have done. Okay, so one example of this is for you former athletes, and I emphasize former, right, is all your trophies, right? When you were 40 pounds lighter and you were in good shape and your knee worked right and your back didn't act up, <laughs> okay? It's like bragging about that. I may be 58 now, but when I was 24, I'm like, you're not 24, so, <laughs> right? I mean, so it's kind of like, it's kind of like this is, this pride thing doesn't actually really help for the future. In fact, sometimes it just gets us caught in the past. I'm really proud of who I used to be. That doesn't do a lot of good. Hezekiah's pride, though, leads to a sad short-sightedness. And so this is where we see the humanity of Hezekiah. Hezekiah sins. Hezekiah falls short. And I think that this is really important because where it's going to lead us. If you're looking at your Bible, what's the first word of chapter 40? Comfort. Comfort. Hezekiah is going to give us reason to need chapter 40 in two weeks, okay? Comfort is where chapter 40 starts and opens up this next section of the book of Isaiah. But we see in chapter 39, at that time, again, a vague reference to some kind of time stamp. At that time, um, Merodach Baladon sends envoys and letters and a present to Hezekiah. Why? Because he heard he would, he'd been healed. Somehow the word had gotten out. He's healed. He hasn't died. And so Merodach Baladon needs some allies. Um, he's just a rebel and he needs more allies to help overthrow the strong Assyrians. And so he sends uh, envoys, he sends ambassadors, he sends a letter, and he sends a gift. I don't know what it is, but a gift to Hezekiah. Um, and verse 2, Hezekiah welcomed them gladly. The picture is he's very excited and very happy to have these men with him. So excited, in fact, that he takes him on the grand tour of his capital city. He throws open all the doors. This is where we keep the best gold. This is where we keep all of the chariots. This is where I have... He he shows them everything. Look how it describes it at the end of verse 2. There was nothing in his house or in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. Uh, The picture here is not too hard to see. He's showing off, right? He's showing off to these envoys because he is really flattered that they would come to him. Wow, this is pretty great. Uh, Now, remember, he was just about to die. He was just about to die, and now he's been given new life. And rather than be humble and thankful, rather than making much of God, rather than telling them about Yahweh, he tells them about his treasure box. And, And really, Assyria is great, Babylon is great. Egypt is great. And Israel's is a little podunk town, a little section on the Mediterranean. Now, don't get me wrong. The temple is a beautiful building. Um, but the territory that they held was really small. I mean, really, we're, we're talking like uh, Orange County kind of small, right? Okay, and it's like as if uh, Colorado is Assyria, okay? Uh, this, is, this is a little tiny kingdom. And so he's flattered. And so he opens wide the doors. He shows them everything. He welcomes them gladly. He is showing them how great he is. I am King Hezekiah. Look at my riches. See my kingdom. And I think we understand that this is probably his attitude by verse 3 because of the questions that Isaiah asks. The prophet shows up to the king. Oftentimes in the Bible, it's not for good news. Often when the prophet shows up, the king goes, oh, no. Right? Remember the stories of King Ahab? He has this, this prophet, Micaiah, who always says bad things about him, so he doesn't know. I don't want to hear that guy. He always says bad stuff about me. 
Usually when the prophet shows up, it's not good news for the king. And so Isaiah shows up and says, hey, uh, so what these guys say? What, I just wonder if Isaiah already knew. Like, I didn't say that in the passage, but I just wonder if, if Yahweh already told him. And, and Isaiah says, where did they come to you? Where are they from? Hezekiah says, they've come to me from a far country, from Babylon. The Babylonians visited. He said, uh, so what have they seen in your house? Well, that's a weird question, right? What, not what did they want. What did you show them? What, what's, what's in the house? Hezekiah answered, they have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing in my storehouses I did not show them. I took the number one key and opened everything so they could all see it. They could see everything there. What's he doing? He's, he's, he's just displaying pride in who he is and what he's done and what he's attained and what he's gathered. He's forgotten who gave it to him. He's forgotten that he would be dead at this moment without Yahweh preserving his life. So Isaiah responds, and it's very interesting how he responds. He says in verse 5, Not hear the word of Yahweh, not hear the word of Adonai, the Lord, but hear the word of Yahweh of hosts, Yahweh armies, the God of the armies of heaven. Why say that? Why say that? To remind Hezekiah, all those chariots, all the shields, all the swords and all the spears, they're gods. He gave them to you. In fact, he is the sovereign of heavenly armies. Remember, remember all this, how this is working? God gave you this? Now, this is really interesting because remember how this is chronologically out of order? He's going to show Hezekiah that he is Yahweh of armies when Sennacherib later comes to Jerusalem and they go out the next morning and it's 185,000 dead people. Because Hezekiah can't go, yes, brilliant strategy, we killed them all. Hezekiah can only say, wow, God killed all of them. Cool. That's, that's the only response that he has is thankfulness. So Isaiah says, this is what Yahweh of armies, of hosts says. Behold, the days are coming. When all that is in your house, oh, all that good stuff, all that stuff you showed off, and that which your fathers have stored up till this day, now he's piling on the guilt, right? The stuff that your dad and your grandfather and your great-grandfather, they piled up. It shall all be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left. Some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away. And we, we know that, that none of his um, immediate sons are taken uh, because it's still uh, more than 100 years away. But some of his great-grandsons are taken to Babylon in fulfillment of this prophecy. They'll be taken away. They shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. That is a bad thing, right? Because a eunuch has not been enabled to have any offspring. Which, which, here's what he's saying. God's going to cut off your ability okay, to have descendants. This is a threat to the Davidic monarchy. Again, the dynasty. Now, God is gracious because as you read through, God does spare the line. But some of these, some of these sons are going to have uh, all of their sons slaughtered before them and then their eyes put out. So that the Babylonians say, hey, the last thing you get to see is me killing your sons and give me your eyes. That's what's coming. That's what's coming here. So watch Hezekiah. Hezekiah hears this awful news from Isaiah. What terrible news. And he says, the word of Yahweh that you have spoken is good. So there are some commentators that want to say, well, Hezekiah is just being thankful that God's going to spare him. And, and that there may be some of that in here. I can't read it like that. Can you? Um, especially when he goes on and says, For he thought, there will be peace and security in my days. What's unstated there is the at least, right? At least there will be peace and security in my days. It's going to stink to be my great-grandson, but hey, at least it's not going to happen in my life. And, and the, the response here is so abrupt. That's the end of the chapter. Like, that's it. It's done. And you're just kind of shocked at Hezekiah. Ah, what? Why would you be so smug about this? Well, because Hezekiah is only thinking about himself, right? Look at my wealth. Look at my chariots, right? It's like showing off your, your cars in your garage, right? 
It's like, hey, look at all my chariots. This is the newest model right here. It's all about me. And, and here, all, it's, it's all about him and the prophecy too. It's just about me. Well, at least, at least I'm going to be okay. At least things are going to be good for me. At least I'm going to be safe and in peace and security. See, Hezekiah had the opportunity to make God look really good, and all he was concerned about was making himself look really good. God says, you want Babylon? You like these guys from Babylon? Fine, you can have them. You can have Babylon. That's what's going to happen. Now, I, I think that part of the reason that it ends like this on this like really sad, abrupt note is because some people probably thought that Hezekiah was the Messiah. Do you remember chapter 7? The virgin shall conceive and have a son. That prophecy is given to Ahaz. Who's Ahaz's son? Hezekiah. Um, some people probably thought that Hezekiah was this promised Messiah, this, this savior figure. And we see here he's not. He's not. And so that opens to us the second half of Isaiah where we find tons and tons of promises about a son of David who will succeed and who will save others and who will give his life for others. This is the hinge that turns the book. We're going to turn now, chapter 40, all the way through 66, and we're going to talk about hope. We're going to talk about recovery. We're going to talk about reconciliation. We're going to talk about salvation. We're going to talk about promised new heavens and new earth. And it all stems from the chronologically out of place um, placement of this really bad news about Hezekiah. Because actually, if this were chronologically in order, the last thing we would see was this fantastic salvation of God as he rescues Hezekiah, but actually he puts it out of order and we end on a really sad, bad note about Hezekiah. It's a really awful thing at the end of his life. So, what do we do about this? I mean, well, we kind of need to feel the deflation. Right? We kind of need to feel the reason why this is in this order. We kind of need to feel the, huh. And we need to feel that way because we're going to be comforted in chapter 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. What can we learn about God in this chapter? I'm just going to have three quick things and then we're done. What can we learn about God? God hears and sees. God hears and sees. Psalm 56, 3 through 4 and verse 8 says, When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? This picture of the psalmist is, God's recording my sorrows. God's paying attention to me weeping into my pillow at night. He's collecting my tears. He's intimately uh, involved in the despair and the discouragement in my life. And the picture of Hezekiah is is a God that sees Hezekiah. He doesn't just hear. Okay, so here's here's the picture I was thinking. Um, When you have, uh, parents, when you have the monitor... That here, I mean, now you can, like, spy on your kids. It's super weird. But the, the monitor, the audio monitor, right, to hear if your baby's crying um, in the other room, okay, you can hear that and go, I don't want to hear that. Click. <laughs> okay? No, never, never done that. Um, no, that, that's a lie. Uh, <laughs> it, it's like, it's like the, the hearing. Okay, I hear my baby. My baby's crying. That's too bad. Okay, now the picture is, now I'm going to go to my baby and open the door and see my baby crying and pick up my baby and pat my baby and, and help calm the baby down to get close, to get intimate. So God not only hears, which is great news, he also sees. And some of you really need that today. Some of you really need to hear that God hears and he sees. Second, God answers the prayers of his people. I mean, he, duh. But not duh, because do you believe this? Because maybe right now you're thinking, God does not hear my prayers. And I wish I was Hezekiah and he'd cure me of cancer. Or he'd take away the illness my mom has. Or he'd get my job situation all right in order. God hears your prayers. His timing may not be your timing, but he answers. In fact, Hezekiah saw that it was good for him to be in this bitter position for a while. He learned something in that. And last, God will judge. And some of you need to hear this this morning. Someone once said um, that a good prayer for Sunday morning is that God would comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. And and there, there is great wisdom in that. God's going to judge. 
And the picture throughout the Bible is God is going to judge. You can't live. You can't live like you want and think you're going to get away with it. God is going to judge because he's good. Because he can't allow sin to continue. He is going to judge. And so that should be a warning to you. In fact, you should be afraid. Jesus says, don't fear man. He can just kill you. That's all he can do. God can send your soul to hell. He's who you should fear. God will judge. God is going to judge. God judged his people. Do you understand that? The Babylonians came and they destroyed the temple of the Lord. God will judge. But the good news is that there has been someone who's come and taken God's judgment in your place so that you don't have to be judged because Jesus was judged for you. If you believe in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and in the empty tomb, what you're saying is, I know I deserve that death, but I know Jesus took it on himself. So that the judgment that was meant for me is absorbed in Jesus. He can take it because he rose from the dead. He shows he can take it. That's good news. So let's pray now to the God who hears and sees and answers us. Father, we thank you for this morning, for the opportunity to hear from your word, from a complicated section of scripture. I pray, Lord, that there would be uh, those here that would go back and read Second Kings and Second Chronicles to see this um, just a really amazing in-depth picture of King Hezekiah and his faithfulness to you and his, his trust and also um, his pride and um, his failures so that we might resonate with Bible characters who, who are real people, um, who um, are sinners just like us, who experience great victories and low lows. Help us to learn from them. And God, go with us this week. Um, I pray for the students who have no school that you would give them some rest and relaxation this week. I pray for the families that will get together and eat and watch football and um, movies and hang out together. Lord, that it would be a good time of being together, of enjoying the blessings that you have given to us. So go with us today. We, we thank you for the opportunity to celebrate together with the Hispanic church today um, as we have our Thanksgiving potluck. Uh, may that be a blessed time for us all. In Jesus' name, amen.